You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Okay, Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open there. Meet me back in Romans 8. We are continuing in our study of this chapter, which has been called by many the greatest chapter in the Bible, a, a, a chapter that is so rich in grace, so packed with power. Um, in Romans 8, it's almost like we're getting a strong, undistilled shot of God's grace toward us uh, in Jesus. Those who are have faith in Christ, it's like a strong espresso shot. I don't know, what you, maybe you thought I was talking about a different kind of shot. I'm not sure. But like a strong espresso shot that just wakes you up to the realities of the gospel in our lives, that there are truths of the gospel that are truer than our sins, that are truer than our present struggles, that are truer than our sufferings. We've seen this. Romans 8.1 reminded us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.11 tells us that the same spirit of God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us and is giving life to our bodies, overcoming our sins and our struggles. What an incredible truth. We saw last, uh, lastly in Romans 8, 18, that our present sufferings in this life, though they are real and they can be difficult, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You're, if you're a Christian this morning, your future in Christ is glorious. And verse 24 and 25 remind us that we are to wait patiently for the return of Christ. As Rick said so well last week, living with hoptimism for Jesus to come again. In other words, what Romans 8 is saying to us, it's screaming to us, you are more forgiven than you realize. You are more loved by God than you think. Your future is more glorious than you can imagine. And today in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul wants to show us that we are more helped by God than we know. We're so helped by him. Romans 8, 26, he writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, before we can really consider the help of God that he offers to us, we have to be honest about our weakness. We live in a time, we live in a culture where we don't like to admit our weaknesses, do we? I mean, how many of you walked into a job interview and led with your weaknesses? Probably none of you. Um, nobody puts your weaknesses on your Instagram uh, bio. Um, uh, nobody uh, starts a first date sharing their weaknesses, their bad habits, and their personality flaws. <laughs> nobody. But Romans 8 is telling us something here about God's strength and our weakness, that actually with God, we can lead with our weakness. We can be honest about our weakness. The word Weakness that, that Paul uses here is more than just personality flaws and bad habits and shortcomings that we have. He's talking more about our state as human beings, um, uh, our condition 
as fallen people living in a fallen world. He's told us earlier that as Christians, because we're fallen, we're groaning for our adoption as sons, that the creation is groaning for redemption. It's this law of sin and death. Remember, we talked about this several weeks ago that governs life in this world. But he said, Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, lifts us up out of sin and death, and the spirit is working to give us new life. But that weakness is still there. And, and it's the word that, the word that he uses here is the, the Greek word. It really, it means literally feeble or fragile. So in other words, Romans 8.26 is not here to to flatter you. (laughs) It's not here to stroke your ego. Um, Romans 8.26 is here to humble us, to wake us up to the truth about us that we are shaky people. We are fragile. We are feeble. This is our human condition. God wants us to look into the mirror honestly. Because our culture, especially our culture in the West, there is so much hot air. There's so much like, like raw, raw out there um, about self-sufficiency, isn't there? I mean, uh, how many of you have seen uh, uh, catchy slogans about the power of positivity? Uh, my family, we've been watching this, this show that is on uh, the History Channel. We've gotten really into it in the last couple of weeks. It's the show Alone. Anybody know this show? Basically, they take these people that think they have like these incredible survival skills and they drop them into like the land of grizzly bears and wolves and they're like, try and survive as long as you can. You're all by yourself. You have 10 survival tools. You have no one to help you. Don't, try not to die. This is the show. It's, it's a good watch if, if you're looking for something to watch. And these, it's interesting. These people come in and they're like real kind of puffed up with this hot air of like their determination and the power of discipline and their positivity and gratitude and how these things can, and their, their, their skills that they possess, how they, can, how they can get them through. And then three days later, they're crying in their tent, uh, ready to go home. You know, Our culture is full of so much hot air around these things. But the longer that we live, the more that we become aware that there is way more suffering in life than there is willpower or positive vibes to overcome them. The longer we live, we realize that there is so much uncertainty in life, when you get slammed in the face with a diagnosis or with unexpected loss, or you battle for a decade the reality of infertility, or your heart gets ripped out by a wayward child, or you experience the depths of betrayal of a friend, or the loss of a job, or the loss of your health, discipline and positive vibes and willpower only get you so far. Human beings. We are not self-sufficient. We are weak. We are fragile. We are shaky people. On our own, we are ill-prepared for the sufferings and the sorrows that exist in this life. But the Apostle Paul is saying to us, he's saying that in Romans 8, he's reminding us that in Christ, because of Christ, we are not alone. We are not fragile. We are not as feeble as we should be. Because we've been given the life-giving Holy Spirit who is with us, who has our back, who is our advocate. What a truth. What a truth. Um, it, might be, it might be hard for you to believe this, but there was a time in my life when I was an athlete. You're just going to have to trust me. You have to practice faith here and, um, and believe this. I was a decent athlete, um, primarily a basketball player. 
And I was good enough uh, to start on my varsity, uh, high school varsity team as a freshman. And I tell you that not to brag, although, um, you know, uh, I was, uh, I, I, I tell you that to say, um, I, was, I was barely 15. Uh, I'm a grown man now, as grown as I'll ever be, and I'm not very big. So you can imagine me at 15, and I was playing with some guys, against some guys that were grown men. Um, our very first game of the season, my freshman year, um, I couldn't even drive myself to the game. My mom dropped me off. And, um, and we were out there, first game. I'm nervous. I'm small. I'm very aware of how small I am. These guys are much bigger than the eighth graders I played against last year. And um, uh, we're playing our crosstown rival team. And they put their very best player on me from the beginning. Um, we'll just call him number four. And number four had muscles that I didn't even know existed, okay? <laughs> and so number four is guarding me. He's a good player, but even better than a player, he's an elite trash talker, like elite trash talker. And so the whole game, he keeps calling me either baby or baby boy. That's what he keeps calling me the whole game while he's guarding me. I'd miss a shot, and he'd say, do you need your passy, baby boy? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm serious. He's tr- ta- I, I'm at the free throw line trying to shoot a free throw, and he's like, hey, baby boy, is your babysitter here? He's talking trash the entire game, ruthless. I get frustrated because I'm not getting foul, foul calls. And he's, do, do you need a bottle, baby? Do you need a bottle, baby boy? He's talking trash the entire time. But as the game goes on, there's about a minute left in the game. Our team is up by 10. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Their coach calls a timeout. We're walking back out of the timeout. It's time to inbound the ball. Number four comes up to guard me, and I point to the scoreboard, and I said, do you need a pacifier, baby boy? And I didn't think that through. Um, because as soon as I caught the ball on the inbound pass, number four absolutely clobbered me. He put his forearm in the back of my head. He, he just plummeted me. And I hit the ground and I'm laying there. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to die. There, there's not enough referees here to save my life. And as I'm laying there and number four is standing over me and I can see his abs uh, through his jersey, I hear the substitution horn, sub, and in comes Dusty Evans. Dusty was not a very good basketball player. He was a senior on our team, but Dusty was a man. Dusty is the kind of guy who was shaving in the eighth grade. And uh, Dusty comes in, um, and Dusty's uh, not a good basketball player, but he is, does have a full-ride scholarship to go play football uh, at Purdue. And so Dusty makes his way into the game, and he walks right over to number four, and I'll never forget what he said. He looked at him, and he said, is there a problem? And number four walked away. I had an advocate. <laughs> I had help in that moment, help that I didn't see coming. Um, When I was an idiot, I had help. (laughs) Uh, When I was too weak, I had help. I had an advocate. When I wasn't as big as I thought I was or as smart as I should have been, there was another who was stronger who had my back. The illustration is not even close to perfect, (laughs) but I think you get my point. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Um, how does he help us? How does he help us? Look back at the text. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word saints there, I don't want you to be confused by that. That's you if you're a Christian. That's you. Um, you are no longer a sinner. Remember what he said in Romans 8.1? There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. You may still struggle with sin, but sin is not your identity. You are a saint. You are holy before the Lord. And so he's saying the Spirit intercedes for those who are in Christ. The Spirit prays for us. What an incredible text. How does the Spirit help us? The text says our weakness activates the intercessory prayer of the Holy Spirit who begins to pray prayers on our behalf and he prays according to the perfect will of God and his prayers are received by the Father. That is incredible. Let's try and understand it and unpack it. Paul tells us something about what happens to us in our weakness. He says, he says for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We do not know how to pray as we ought. Notice that he doesn't say that we don't know how to pray. Most Christians do know how to pray. Jesus teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He gives us a template. Um, just about every single one of you is part of your basic discipleship. You were taught how to pray. We pick up and learn how to pray from different models and mentors in our life. He doesn't say that we don't know how to pray. He says there are times in our lives, weakness, moments of real weakness, shakiness, feebleness, that we don't know how to pray as we ought. Times in our lives when we are out of words for God. Times when we can't find the words, when words fail us. Times in our life when even if we try and we have words, we're not even very confident that they're the right words. Have you ever been there? I don't even know how to pray or what to pray. I'm praying, but I feel like my prayers might be the wrong prayers in this situation. It's kind of like when I play chess with my wife, Sammy. Like, I know how to play chess, but when I play chess against her, I often find myself not knowing how to play chess as I ought. Like, I don't have any moves. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. And no doubt you've been here in the Christian life if you've taken following Jesus seriously. I've been here countless times in my life. I was in this place back in December when Sammy was in the ICU. I would get up each morning and I would uh, make sure she had what she needed. And then I would go walk the hospital and around the hospital and just try and pray. I was just trying to prayer walk. And for those first couple of days, I just couldn't pray. I, I was trying to pray. I didn't know what to pray. All I felt was kind of this deep swirl, this whirlwind of exhaustion and uncertainty. Um, I was in a place like this when we first moved here to plant this church, actually. Uh, the first couple of years of planting this church were really hard. It was like um, nobody cared we were planting a church. <laughs> nobody cared. It's like nobody, nobody really felt like nobody wanted to come. Uh, it was a difficult couple of years. And there were times where I had a lot of doubt. Like, God, you called us here. I don't know, did this, like, I just had a lot of doubt. I couldn't pray because I was so overcome with doubt and uncertainty. Prayer was difficult. No doubt you've been here. I, I, in fact, I, I reached out to a few different folks here at Redeemer this week and just even asked for some examples. I said, hey, could you share an example with me of a time in your life when prayer was difficult, when words failed you, when you just felt like you knew you should pray, but you didn't know how to pray. And I want to just read to you some of the things that I, that the responses I got back. When I was laid off from my job unexpectedly, my life was up in the air. 
I struggled to approach God, couldn't find words to pray. I was angry. When my marriage was crumbling all around me, I could only sigh or cry every time I tried to pray. When I realized that my sin had hurt and wounded my spouse and I could not undo the damaging harm that I had caused. When my child self-harmed and all I felt was the complexity of anger and grief and compassion, I had no words. When a close friend betrayed me, I was angry and I was hurt. When we lost our child, in that moment, there were no words for the anger, the confusion, the deep sadness, only groanings. Only groanings. See, so many of you know this place of weakness. Others of you will come to know this place of weakness in time a place of only groanings. Some of you know what it is to groan for your children. Some of you know what it is to groan for your lost hopes and dreams. Some of you know what it is to groan for your marriage. Some of you know what it is to groan over loss or for a friend. This space of being deeply aware of our inability to fix ourselves or to redeem our situation, a place of no words. And the text tells us that when we Christians are in this moment, we have something that the world doesn't have. When we are in these these moments of real weakness, that God is there. God is with us. God is in us by the Holy Spirit. And God, too, groans. What a thought. What a thought. He identifies with us in our suffering and in our sorrow. Not only on the cross has Jesus identified with us in our suffering and in our sorrow, taking our sins upon himself, but he has put his spirit within us who, in those moments of weakness, is there identifying with us, and he is praying for us. He is helping us. What a thought. I want you to hear me. Our weakness is not a hindrance to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Your weakness is no more of a hindrance to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life than the beggar or the leper's weakness was a hindrance to the ministry of Jesus. Your weakness activates his power. Your weakness draws him closer and closer to your heart. That's why he was given to you. Jesus said to help you, to be your helper, to lift you up, to have your back. Look at verse 27. This verse is a stunner. It will give you a bit of a trinity headache. And he who searches hearts, the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, for you if you're a Christian, according to the will of God. Verse 27 is promising us that the Holy Spirit, in those moments of weakness in your life, those those moments of no words, the Holy Spirit who sees what you cannot see prays for you on your behalf, and the prayers that he prays for you, he prays according to the perfect will of God for your life. When you don't know what to pray, and you don't know what to do, and you don't know what to think, you have an advocate. You have the Holy Spirit who is ushering you by his strength and by his perfect words into the will of God. 
He prays perfectly in you and over you. And the Father hears his prayers. And while there's a lot of mystery in verse 27, I read like six commentaries on verse 27, and everyone was just kind of like, God prays to God, God within you prays to God over you. While there's a lot of mystery in verse 27, it makes so much sense of my life, of my Christian experience, and I bet it does yours too. It makes so much sense. I've had moments in my life, I'm sure you have as well, where I've looked back at my life and I've thought, like, how did I get here? <laughs> I don't know how I made it through that season. I think about our, Sammy and I's first year of marriage. <laughs> how did we make it through that? I don't, how do we make it through? Um, uh, how did I overcome in that time, in that season? I've had moments where I've thought that. And certainly not in my own strength or my own wisdom. By the Spirit. <laughs> by his prayers for me, his interceding, his praying the will of the Father into my life. Praying the perfect will of God for me. Maybe you've looked at your life and you've thought about the many blessings and the lavish grace in your life. And if you're honest, you've thought, I don't deserve any of these things. God has just poured out grace upon grace upon grace in my life. I don't even remember praying for some of these things. You probably didn't. Your grandma might have. Certainly the Holy Spirit did praying you into God's perfect will for your life. We have so much help in the spirit. Um, Romans chapter eight, in Romans chapter eight, Paul tells us that we have two advocates, two intercessors, two, two um, uh, highly qualified advocates who have our back always. He says in verse 34, we'll, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, he says in verse 34 that Christ, Jesus, sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for our every sin. Every sin. He's saying, my wounds, my blood, covered, forgiven. And then he says in this verse that we have the Spirit who rules our hearts and intercedes for our every sorrow and our every uncertainty, the spirit who helps us and who lifts us up and who has our back. Think about what Romans 8 is telling us, that the spirit of God is in us and Christ is over us. In 831, he's going to tell us that the father is for us. Hear me, you are so wrapped up in God right now. Do you see this? the spirit of Christ in you, the crucified Messiah reigning over you, the father who is for you. Why would we fear? <laughs> Why would we waver? What a savior we have. We are more forgiven than we think. We are more loved than we ever dare imagine. And we are more helped by the spirit than we know. I love this quote that I came across this week in my study. I want to, I want us to look at it as we prepare to close it. It's it's really looking forward to next week, Romans 8.28. I know that many of you know Romans 8.28. For all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And this verse is looking back at what we just looked at and looking forward, this quote, looking forward to Romans 8.28. Listen to what, it, listen to what this commentator says. He says, no wonder all things are working out for our good. No wonder. The Spirit, is effectively praying for us so that the will of God will be accomplished in our lives. Furthermore, we know that, that God identifies with and cares about our experiences of suffering, which provides comfort as we wait 
in hope of Christ's glorious return. Brothers and sisters, God is not distant from you in your weakness. He is not distant. God is not a cosmic vending machine in the sky demanding that you put the right things in and push the right buttons so that you can be blessed. This is not who he is. He is not distant from you. God is a loving father. He is a sympathetic savior. He is a life-giving spirit who is closer to you than your next breath. If only we had eyes to see. Romans 8 is trying to help us have eyes to see. God is not holding out on you. God is holding you up. He knows where he's taking you if you're his child. And he's promised to do good to you even when we can't see. If you're struggling this morning, I just want to encourage you to take heart in your struggle, your weakness activates his help. Turn to him, even if you don't have words. <laughs> That's the beauty of this text. The Holy Spirit's prayers are a safeguard for us. We can pray messy prayers. We can turn to him and we say, I don't even have words. I don't even know what to say. Maybe all I have is groans. And we can say, thank you, Spirit, that you are praying for me. Thank you that you're holding me up. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you've promised God to do good to me. Turn to him. I'm going to ask you as we close to just think for a moment uh, about your life. And I want to ask you to identify where is their weakness currently for you? Where is their weakness? Where are you experiencing? Where can you look in the mirror and identify the reality that you are feeble? That you are shaky? That you are insufficient? Where is it? Maybe it's Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's an area where you lack wisdom. Maybe it's a deep sorrow in your heart that you just can't figure out how to process. Maybe it's something from your past. Maybe it's a struggle in your marriage. Where is their weakness? I want to just give you a moment to just turn to, to, turn to the Lord right now, right where you are. Worship team, if you guys want to make your way up, you can come back up. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds just to take weakness where you know there's weakness and just turn to the Father, lift the weakness up to him, even if you don't have words, acknowledge it before him and ask the Spirit to do what he does and to intercede for you. I'm gonna give you a moment and I will close this in prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, we thank you for the great grace that you have given to us in the gospel, that through Christ through your Son and in your Spirit, we lack nothing. I pray that you would help each person in this room to trust that your strength is made perfect in weakness. To believe that we can lead with our weakness with you. That you are drawn to our weakness. And that your mercy is sufficient. That your promises are powerful. As we enter into a time of response, we ask that you would continue to minister to us in this place. Lift us up into the mercies of God, we pray, Holy Spirit. Be honored and be glorified in our response. We pray in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.